Thank you, Tyler, for leading us in uh, and teaching us how important it is to, to sing the Psalms. That's what they're meant to be. They teach us good theology. Uh, last uh, night, uh, we had the grands with us and getting ready to go to bed. My grandson came in, and he looks me square in the eye, and he goes, there is a book that is better than gold. And he started singing that song. Now they go, wow, good. So they, they are uh, catchy things that are designed to point us to God and to his word. This is a wonderful psalm this morning. It is one of my favorites. If you're getting older, this has a particular significance uh, uh, to us, if you have been maturing in the faith and your body is going downhill, what an encouragement this psalm is. It's paralleled by Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. And here's one of my favorite passages. They are ever full of sap and green. Now, when you tell somebody today you're a sap, it usually has a different connotation. But the Bible uses this, this expression, full of sap. It's a word for vitality. You ever see a tree that doesn't have any sap in it? It's dead. So this is, this is a, a compliment to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So we are going to take a look at Psalm 71. I hope it'll stick in your, in your memory. And some of you this morning who are young go, okay, we can sign off. We're not there yet. They go, um, this, this isn't for me. No, it is for you. It is for you because that's where I'm going to start this morning. So keep your finger in Psalm 71, and I want you to turn over to Koheleth. And you go, what's that? It's the Hebrew word for Ecclesiastes. And the preacher there, who I take, is Solomon, and I want you to go there to um, chapter 12. And that's where we're going to start uh, this morning. I look out and I just, I, I'm so encouraged by young people and old people and in between people meeting together. One of the detrimental things that has happened in the evangelical church in general is, you may have heard this, if you're, if you're under uh, 30, we got a, a service designed for you. And if you're over 30, we got a traditional one signed for you. You know what that does? It separates the old from the young. And we need both. We need old, mature saints, and we need young that are full of energy and vitality, and they need to come together. And so when you're doing that, now we, we have Bible studies for, for women that met yesterday. We'll meet every two weeks. Um, we have a care group for young men. If you would like to uh, join that and you're in that 20, 30, whatever age, see um, Jared or, or Dylan. We have a, 
a care group for young cotton. You have unique, uh, he, he taught, uh, Dylan is teaching good theology. And we have other care groups. But when we come together as the people of God, we are one body. We are one family. And age is not to be the defining characteristic. The defining characteristic is to be we love God. And we love him as he has revealed in his book. So I'm going to pray and we're going to begin in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12. Lord, thank you for every older, mature saint here. Thank you for every young person. Sin is always knocking on the door trying to deceive us to think that sin is not as bad as it really is or to think that sometimes when sin runs over us, we're never, we're never going to grow. We're always going to be afflicted with, with sins. Help us to be a people who love our God. Open the book to us this morning. Take the Word of God off the print of the page and make it live in our hearts and lives. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this, The Prayer and Profession of a Mature Saint in Old Age. And the emphasis in this text is Yahweh. If you're not familiar with that term, it's those who are uh, familiar with the Hebrew title in there. And it's the Tetragrammaton, four letters, yod Hey vav Hey, And it emphasizes the covenantal God of heaven. It goes back to Exodus when God says, I am who I am, Moses. I am who I am. The eternal God is faithful to his people, and it is related to that word chesed, or covenantal loyalty. If you know this God revealed in the Bible, he will always be faithful to you. One of the most startling things that was ever said to me by a professing believer who was going through a difficult time, and he said, God has been unfaithful to me, and it jolted me. And then I thought, Maybe you've never said it, but have you ever thought that? I expect quid pro quo. I do the right thing, and therefore God must bless me as a result of that. That's terrible theology. Terrible theology. So, we're going to begin here with this emphasis. He is a faithful God from the cradle of to the grave, and that's what this psalmist is going to emphasize. But I want, I want to start here with Ecclesiastes. So if you're young and you think this doesn't, or you in between, and you think what we're going to read in Psalm 71 has no reference to you, it has every reference to you. So I begin in Ecclesiastes 12. Also, meaning everything else that he's already said, Solomon here, Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Namely, he created you. You have a responsibility and accountability to him before the evil days. Now, ra'ah does not mean here you're, you're moral. It means hard, tough, difficult days are going to come. Well, what are those difficult days that are going to come for youth? 
I'm looking out, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm knowing some of those difficult days. You will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's talking physically here, not spiritually. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In other words, youth is full of vitality. It's full of expectations. It's full of energy. And then as we start to wear down, it's like clouds come over us physically. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. These don't work quite as well um, as, as they used to. I went in uh, after my father-in-law had uh, the heart issue, and I went in to, to see him, and he says, I could, I could hardly lift my arms that first day. And the strong men are bent, and I know that for sure. Um, the legs don't work quite as well as they used to work. And the grinders cease because they are few. Dr. Tom, thank you, sir. It's quite, quite amazing. I went down to see Dr. Tom. I, I, I lost. It, doesn't this look great this morning? Yeah, it does. See, I want to show off. I got teeth up there. But if it wasn't for Dr. Tom I, and Dr. Bill Gray formerly, I wouldn't have any teeth up there because I was hit with a stick in the mouth in the military, and they put this thing up in there, and uh, it didn't last, and it fell out, and boy, it, it's, it's hard to come in and, you know, do that to kind of preach would be, be pretty difficult. So Dr. Tommy takes this thing, no impressions, gets his computerized thing, takes a model of my mouth, sends it away, come back, and he puts this thing up in there and glues it in there, and it fits perfectly. Well, they didn't have that technology, and that's what he's talking about. The days are going to come when your grinders are going to cease. They're not going to work as well as they used to. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. You know, pretty soon, you know, you start stretching out your arms to try and read, and then your arms aren't long enough. And then pretty soon you're going to the optometrist, and you have to get these, and then you get checkups, and they have to strengthen... Uh, the lens, and then your hearing, your hearing. I know the VA gave me a set of hearing aids. It was, it was really quite striking. I'm there, my wife would go, you're not paying attention. And I go, I didn't hear you. She said, no, you're not getting away with that. So we go over to the VA and the audiologist, she has your PhD in this stuff, and so she puts me in this soundproof room, and she says, say, Yes, 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 when you hear sounds. I'm in there five minutes. I haven't heard a single thing. And I go, this can't be good. <laughs> and pretty, pretty soon I began to hear him. And she came in and she goes, well, I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is you have lost all high-frequency hearing. And you can't hear ladies' voices and little kids' voices and those types of things. But we can, we can help you with that. And my responsibility is, my wife tells me, would you put them in then? Would you wear them? But I can't wear them up here. I get too much ringing while I'm uh, uh, preaching. But the days, the days are coming. And then things that didn't used to cause us fear now cause us fear. When we were with, with our friends out there in Moab, Utah, I said to my one friend, 
man, look at this. Let Put this on our bucket list. He was the only one that did, did it with me. And so we did the extreme 4x4 four four out through this canyon trail that's called Hell's Revenge. And it was not named metaphorically. When we got on that thing two and a half hours later, the only thing I could think was, let me out of here. And then we went zip lining on these six zip lines up through. But things that I thought were really cool aren't so cool anymore. I don't have the strength to do some of those things. And I'm looking out, and some of you have the almond tree blossoming. Some aren't in full blossom yet, but what happens when an almond tree blossoms? What color does it turn? White, not just simply gray, white. And Proverbs says, you know what? The gray hair on the head is an honor gained in righteousness. We live in a culture that dishonors the elderly, that looks down on them. Get them, get them out of the way. The Bible is just the opposite of that, and it honors them. And the grasshopper <laughs> drags itself along. I mean, these metaphors are so, you ever seen a, so yeah, sometimes I feel like that. I'm going, I'm getting up in the morning until things start working right, and I get in and start, my, my body's not functioning as I wish it would. But here's, and, and your desires. You don't have the same youthful desires that you had before. And finally, man, why? It's because man is going to his eternal home. Remember your creator, young people, in the days of your youth, why you have vitality and strength to serve him. Because if you don't, you will come to the end of your life. And you may have all the money in the world but it's not going to satisfy you. And you'll be a bitter, disappointed person. So start in your youth. Trust God. You know what the gospel is. God has provided for sin, and we're all sinners. So believe upon Him. Trust Him. Do it now in your youth. You're going to your eternal home. You're going back to your Creator, and you do not want to go there without trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and the mourners go about in the streets. So with that admonition, let's turn back to Psalm 71. And I, I was thinking about old age and, and how old some live. I'm not going to go through uh, Genesis 5 and 11 where we, we see um, the ages there. I think they are accurate ages, but as uh, post-flood, we see ages going down. Abraham, 175. Sarah, one of the few, it, it often just mentions uh, men and their ages. It doesn't mention the ladies. It's not uh, chauvinistic. It's saying because the man in terms of uh, the seed from whom it flows, but Sarah lived 127 years. Isaac, 180. Jacob, 147. Joseph, 110. Moses, a hundred and twenty years, and it says, his eye was undimmed, and it was full of strength. But the Lord also said, because 
You, you know, he didn't do that at the beginning in uh, Exodus chapter 6. And so Moses, you know, he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, are you kidding me? I don't know this Yahweh, this covenantal God. And so what does Moses do? He goes back to God and he goes, hey, you said, Lord. In other words, he didn't have Exodus chapter 4 quite right. And so the Lord says, Moses, stand back and you're about to see what, what I am going to unleash on the people and demonstrate that all their gods are worthless. And then we're going to come down to Pesach, the Passover. And so they're out there, and Moses has increased in his understanding of who God is. And when God, and when he got angry, and what did he do? Instead of speaking to the rock, what did he do? Be very careful. To whom much is given, your accountability is greater. And so he wasn't able to go to the promised land, and says, go up in there and you're going you're gonna to die in the mountain. You can stand there on Mount Nebo. Some of us have stood there and looked over in the promised land. How different it must have been in the day of Moses. Because you look over there now and you go, what? <laughs> it's kind of barren. But there were a lot of trees that were taken away during uh, uh, the time of Islam and all that happened during that time period to the land. So, we're... We're looking at uh, Joshua 110. Caleb, another one, 85 years old. And he goes, give me, often it's translated, give me this mountain, but it's better, higher there is hill country. Give me this hill country. I'm still able to go out and fight just like I was when I was a youth. But that's kind of the exception. Old Barzillai, do you remember who Barzillai was? He, he helped David when David was fleeing from Absalom. And uh, so when David returned and he said to, uh, to Barzillai, if I don't look it up, I'm going to mis misquote it. Here it is. Barzillai, he was not only aged, he was meod ages. He was, he was very old. You know how old he was? He was 80 years old. Some of you in here are... You know, if he was very old, you're very, very, very old. <laughs> but this is a compliment if you're maturing in truth and grace. And so David wanted to help uh, Barzillai the Gileadite because he had bought him supplies. So David, the king said, Barzillai, come across with me and I'll provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm this day 80 years old. Can I? And, and it's like, here's, here's Ecclesiastes chapter 12 coming out of Barzillai's mouth. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. Psalm 90, verse 10. That great prayer of Moses, it says, Lord, teach us to number our days. He's reviewing what happened in the wilderness. 
Teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to chokmah. That's the biblical word in the Old Testament for skill, for wisdom, so I can lead my life in accordance with the revelation that you have, have given. And the days of our lives, said Moses, are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it's soon cut off and we fly away. The oldest person that I know right now, I, I said this in Sunday school, it's really quite striking, is Gary Grayley's mother. She's 105. And when Gary was out there visiting for, his birth, for her birthday, he sent me a picture of her. And there she's sitting at the table. And you know what she's having? A Dr. Pepper, not the, the yeah, there's Jerry. Uh, not, not the diet Dr. Pepper, but the real stuff. She's having a Dr. Pepper and a Big Mac at 105 years old. Her mind still works. I said, what a blessing from God. So whether it's 70 or 80, Moses says, oh, Lord, teach us, teach us to number our days, to take each one as precious and to live with chokmah, with skill. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Even though our outward man is perishing, it's decaying, it's talking this thing in which my heart, not my physical heart, but my spirit lives. Even though that's perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that's not an automatic renewal. You take the Word of God. You engage in mind renewal. You meet with the people of God. You're encouraged. You're rebuked. You're strengthened. You pray to God. You, you're a witness to others about what God is doing in your life. And you do have affliction. Ah, but our affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How? We don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that great prayer in Ephesians, Paul prays that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend what is totally incomprehensible ultimately. It's what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, to know in your experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, here we are. Here we are, Psalm 71. God has let one of his saints through the difficulties, the trials of life, and he's still having him here at the end because he's crying out to God. He's not saying, Lord, it ought to be easy now in my elder elderly years. I remember Don Novotny looking at me and saying, you know what, the golden years aren't so golden. <laughs> and some of us begin to recognize that. The golden, the golden years, uh, the luster comes off the gold because physically, but the golden years can be what rich years spiritually. 
Now, some think that David uh, is the author. Calvin Spurgeon thinks it's David. Um, what I know, uh, and, and it is in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, they put a title up there, David, and then of the Rechabites. Well, that's much, much later. Uh, since it doesn't have the superscription, David, I, all I know for sure is that it is of a mature saint of God. And look at the end. This is a skilled musician. Verse 22, I'll praise you with the harp. I'll sing praises to you with the lyre. My lips will shout to joy. I sing praises to you. My tongue will talk of your righteousness. So um, what Tyler led us in, this person, and why is he writing this? Why, why is he writing this psalm? Why do, why do the authors write psalms? So people will say, man, you are clever in your Hebrew poetry to put it in music. No, they're writing it to be of value to the people of God. Th these are worship songs in the fullest sense. I want theology, so when I'm going through extreme difficulties in life, I want, I want theology that comes back to me that was easily remembered, that through my tears and sorrow and suffering, I can, I can sing these to God. And I, want, I want times when I'm, I'm joyful and happy, I, I, can, I can sing to God and everything in between. Tyler's right, the, the Psalms cover all of life. So here we are. And the first three verses really set the tone. If you only memorize the first three verses, you would have what this author considers to be most important. In you, and the structure is going to, this is a really hard one to outline. If you will look at uh, commentators as they try and outline it, hardly will you find any two alike because it goes back and forth between uh, his, his prayers, his past, and he comes back to the same issue again. So it's a little difficult to outline. I'm going to do it in the first, everybody seems to be clear on the first three verses, and that is the emphasis on God. Then down in 4 through 13, I'm going to take it that he basically reviews his past, and verse 14 on really his continuing commitment in old age Problems are still there. Difficulties are still there. But he has not stopped trusting God. And he has learned all the way my Savior leads me. So we start with the first three verses. And here he starts out, watch this. In you, O Yahweh. Here's the covenantal name for God. In other words, all caps for Lord, emphasize this particular name. It's the way the editors have chosen to do that. In other words, what he is saying is this. I am in a covenantal relationship with God. And therefore, not of my own merit, but because God has done a work of grace in my heart, I have a real relationship with God, and I call upon Him. And so there's a 
the, the note of confidence and affirmation. He's not saying in old age, yep, I did it. I made it through. No, he's going to emphasize God is the one. Now, remember literary bookends? They're called in, in uh, academic circles an inclusio, and there'll be, there'll be brackets around something. So you have that in these first three verses. The first one. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. You are my refuge. Not just anybody's refuge, but my refuge. The same word for refuge goes back to Psalm 1 and 2, and it's the word for trust. Trust. Remember the kind of person that trusts the Lord? He's blessed. Blessed is the man who does what? Three things negatively. He doesn't he doesn't walk, and he doesn't stand, and he doesn't sit in particular ways. And you might expect in Hebrew parallelism to have three ways that he does do it, but it's just one. It's just one. A person who has taken God in his refuge, he meditates on, it's often translated the law of God, but Torah means instruction as well. He meditates on God's instruction. And there's, I mean, Psalm 1, there's, there's two ways, there's two kind of people, and there are two destinies. And the last word is perish. You don't want to perish. You need to know his word. And that, so he says, Lord, I'm that kind of person. You're my covenantal God. I take refuge in, in you. And when he finishes this first section of appeals, he comes right back. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my rock. Solid security and fortress. So that's, that's what shapes the request. So as this psalmist in old age is expressing his heart to God, he also wants to help us who follow him. And so he puts together in Hebrew poetry this psalm and his emphasis right at the beginning is who God is. Through the midst of the trials, the midst of difficulties, they'll vary at different times. Um, he doesn't say things just happened to me. Look at verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. He knows who God is. Look at verse 5. For you, oh, this is a different word for God. I have to look at it closely with my bifocals to make sure, but it is. It's capital L and then small O-R-D, and that's the way the editors do the word Adonai. And sometimes you'll see Adonai translated as the sovereign one. He not only recognizes God as his... He's in a covenant relationship and faithful to God, but he is also sovereign over the universe. The sovereign of the universe have made this psalmist see many troubles and calamities. Boy, how hard is it at times to say to God, I don't understand, but I know, 1 Peter 1, this has been for my good and for your glory. It's a little, it's a little plaque I, I have in my office. This too has been for my good and your glory, but sometimes I don't see it through the eye 
now. I only know it through the eye of faith. So I say, Lord, make this real in my life. Now, in between, he emphasizes the character of God. So he talks about his reliability, his faithfulness, his righteousness in action, his condescension to hear and answer, and security and safety. So first thing he says is, let me never be ashamed. What was the first thing that happened when sin came into the universe? You know, there was no shame before Genesis 3. None. There's no closets, no nothing. And now we know shame. And if you don't know shame and you sin, it's because your heart is hardened. Shame and guilt are a good thing because it should drive us to say, Lord, please forgive me for what I've done. And the only forgiveness is found in an atonement, is in propitiation when God himself turns aside his own wrath by sending his son and we trust in him. So here is an old saint with gray hair, white hair. And what does maturity look like? God is first in you. I trust. Alan Ross rightly comments, the first verse sets the tone for the entire Hebrew song in poetic verse. Thirty-four times are you, the personal pronoun, and the personal adjective, your. He's focused upon God, but he's also instructing us, the people of God, how to pray. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. You, Yahweh, the covenantal God, 1 and 5. You, Adonai, and then it's compounded in 16. Adonai Elohim, and then Elohim, 4, 12, 17, 18, 19, 19 again, 22. Elohim, the, it's a word for the majestic, uh, a plural of God. Uh, pagans use it of gods. But in the Bible, when it's talking about the true living God, it's His majesty. He is so transcendent. But He's come down. And He hears the answers and prayers of His people. That's, that's the condescension to hear and answer. Perhaps I, I mentioned this before, but it's the most striking example to me when the Chiles first came and, and Abigail was about this high and I'm trying to speak to her and she's going out the door and I'm leaning over to try and hear her. She grabbed hold of my tie pulled me right down to her level so she could look me right in the eye. That's what God does here when he's saying, incline your ear. God, who is the majestic, transcendent creator, come down, be merciful and compassionate to me and hear my prayer. And in your righteousness, never do anything contrary to righteousness. God never will. Grudem writes, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right, and he himself is the standard of what is right. And there's the rub. I like my standard of right. No, George, submit to the word of God and understand that God always does what is right. And what is right is revealed in his word. And he always performs his acts, his deeds. So, so save me, rescue me, help me, Lord, in your righteousness. Remember Abraham's 
intercession for his nephew Lot after he remembered the destruction of God, of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's thinking of Lot over there, and he, he, starts, he starts with 50. Lord, if there are, won't the judge of all the earth do what is right? You're the righteous judge. He starts with 50, then he goes down to 45, then 40, 30, 20, 10, and he goes no further, and he thinks, well, maybe there are 10. Lord, would you destroy the wicked along with the righteous if there are 10 there? And the Lord says, no, for the sake of 10, I won't do it. You know what that means? There weren't even 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord always does what is righteous. And security and safety, what a metaphor. Rock, uh, two words there, rock. A dwelling as firm, secure, and durable as rock. And then you're my, second word to rock, you're my cliff, where fissures provide safe hiding places. And God has commanded that he'll save us if we're his children. You're my rock, my fortress. Then he presses, the psalmist presses to God, and he's going to give reasons why Yahweh should and must deliver him. And those pleas are based on the character of God, or for who God is for his children. One of the trips we went to, to Israel, I never knew I'd be able to get there, but uh, we stopped in France and we toured the beaches of Normandy. It's a sobering experience to watch there and just look for thousands of little white crosses a people that freedom is not cheap. People paid their lives. They're buried over there. We saw the grave marker for Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt, the oldest son of President Ro Roosevelt. He had been in World War I, and he came back to fight in World War II. He was one of the few fighting generals that America had. He'd been in North Africa and Italy. And then on the eve of D-Day, he demanded that General Eisenhower allow him to go ashore with the first wave of tack at Utah Beach. He was 57 years old, crippled with arthritis, using a cane. And he wanted to hit Utah Beach. You know what his argument was? My men expected of me. I'm the son of Theodore Roosevelt. I have to do so. It's who I am. It's part of my character. Now, if a mere human can say that, we cry out to God. It's part of his character. That's what we're appealing to, who God is. And Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt wasn't killed in the Utah Beach, but he died about a month later of a heart attack, and he's buried there. So what the psalmist is, is saying, you're my rock, you're my fortress, verse 3, be to that in my experience. Make me know it in my inner being. Make, me, make my whole being know who you are, O God. Wow. So, so there it is. The first, the first part is set upon emphasizing God and his character and who he is, and then he's going to give, okay, here are the specific pleas that I have, and there are three. Rescue me from the wicked, don't throw me away, quick help, and they're all concerned with his adversaries. The wicked, the reshaim, it goes right back to Psalm chapter 1. There's two kind of people in the world. 
the righteous and the wicked. You, you want to know what a wicked person is? It's not always his actions, per se, that are emphasized, but he has no place for God in his life. The psalm says, in his thoughts there is no room for God. So, but the wicked there are beginning to act against him. And he starts out with the reason why the Lord ought to help him. Oh, Adonai, you're my hope. The word hope there is the same word you'll find translated wait for with expectation. In other words, his hope is so certain that that's what sends him strength through the trials of life to be able to endure them because he's not to the end yet. And you're my trust. You're my source of confidence, O Lord, from my youth. From my youth. There it is, young people. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And then he's going to go back and talk about the providence of God. This, this is Psalm 139. You intricately wit knit me together in my mother's womb. He's not saying I came out of the womb sinless or that he never needed to trust the Savior. He's saying, upon you I have leaned, I prefer to translate, I have been supported. The verb means the same thing. From before my birth, you are he who took me from my mother's womb. And he's understanding the whole providence of God over his life. And watch this. My praise is continually of you. Actually, verses 1 through 3, if you would go back, I'm, I'm not going to do it because of the sake of time, we could go back to the psalm, and he actually takes the first three verses there of a preceding psalm, and then um, a lot of the statements in here are, are pulled in from other psalms. It's not, it's not just a mosaic, but this happens. As you begin to hide the Word of God in your heart and in your life, it begins to be part and parcel of your thinking. You may not remember the address where it's found in Scripture. Um, just this morning we were, we were talking, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to practice wickedness with men who work or iniquity. Or Psalm 86, 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord. Grant me an undivided heart, one heart that loves you, not torn between other things devoted to you. So he, he, the, this psalmist has put a lot of scripture in his mind and just oozes out as he's writing. This isn't plagiarism. This is the thoughts that he has of God from revelation in the Word of God, and he puts this thing skillfully together to make a psalm and say, you're going downhill, the almond tree <laughs> is blossoming, but oh, how glorious is old age when we know the living God, when we know the living God. I, I look around at some, at some blossoming almond trees, this may be the most fruitful time in your life because you know God and you have learned how to pray to Him. And if nothing else, you can certainly pray 
And until the Lord takes us home, we serve him unless I get dementia. And then, why would the Lord still have me there? Well, I'm going to be a tool that somebody else is going to have to learn to serve and to get no benefit out of it. Jay Adams has written a, a wonderful book. I love the title of it, Wrinkled But Not Ruined. And I'm getting a few wrinkles, wrinkles up here. Learn to grow in grace, and you do that by taking the Word of God. First of all, you trust the Savior. You become in a covenantal relationship with Him. He will take care of you. You're going to have trials, troubles, sorrows. He's the one that determines all of that. And He is shaping us in conformity to Jesus Christ. Um, one of the, some of you have a copy of this. It's Dane Ortland in The Lord I Take Refuge. And I love what he says here at the end of Psalm 71. This is the prayer of a saint in winter who in his old age realizes that life is mostly over for him. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me. In other words, keep giving me strength to grow. As we continue to age, this psalm instructs us in how to walk with God. But it's the final couple, couple of sentences that are jarring to me. Adversity is not intended to diminish our hope in God. Let me say that again. Adversity, difficulties are not intended to diminish our hope in God. Adversity is intended to heighten, increase our hope in God. We are brought to remember that God is all we have and that he is enough. Boy, what wise statements commenting here on Psalm 71. Alec Motier, one of the better commentators that I've found on the psalmist, he writes, In my earliest infancy, I was left for a weekend with my maternal grandmother, and the weekend stretched out for seven years. You're not, you're not done if you're a grandmother. He says, the direct result of this is that I cannot remember a time when I did not love the Bible as the Word of God. He writes, was not this the hand of God? I could tell you of more coincidences as they are called and accidents as they seem and the right person being in the right place at the right time. For all of us, Yahweh has been our support since birth. It was He who caused us to be born at the time and place of His choice. Not accident, but design. Not coincidence, but plan. Not chance, but divine direction. That's the story of every believer, the secret of every conversion. It's the direct implication of those words, 5 and 16, Adonai, Sovereign One. A God who truly is God, who holds in His hand not only the broad sweep of world history, but the tiniest details of personal stories, including the one thief on the cross who turned at the final moment and said, Remember me when you enter into paradise. A God whom no circumstance or adversary or collection of adversaries can defeat. Present in every place, master of every situation, deciding and controlling at every time, and so it will continue to be as long as earthly life shall last. And I cry out, oh Lord, make that true in my life. 
Make me that kind of person. Help me to walk by faith, not by sight. Help me to trust you. Edward Seitz, um, 1800s, after serving in the American Civil War in Philadelphia, um, he became a riverboat pilot on the Delaware River, and he wrote a hymn that many of us find precious. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Singing if my way be clear, praying if the path be drear, if in danger for him call, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting him while life shall last, trusting him till earth is past, till his gracious advent call, trusting Jesus, that is all. That's the message of Psalm 71. Trust him. Learn to trust him. Start out at youth, and you're not going to be disappointed when you get to old age. You're not going to be ashamed. All right, I'm going to have to let you read some of this. I don't have time to finish uh, the whole thing here. It's a marvelous psalm. I want to come down to then praying with steadfast trust. He comes back in the middle, actually, verses... Uh, 14 through 24, he turns to the future now. Whatever time God has left for him. And in the center of it, he says, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Why? Give me strength. What's he want to do? Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. What a precious statement that is. You got grandchildren. There, there it is. That's, that's what your, your job isn't done. You got great-grandchildren. Your job isn't done. We got youth here. Our job isn't done. Let, let me tell you how, how God has saved me. Let me tell you how God has been faithful to me in my life. Let me tell you about some of the dark times in my life when the clouds rolled and I didn't. I wondered, where is God? And maybe I got lost in Psalm 73, and I got confused. I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he's, he, the psalmist is confused. Verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And then he says, Ah, but if I would have spoken like that, I would betray the generation of your children. And what's the anchor in Psalm 73? It's a little word in English, E-N-D, end. The end. I considered their end and what my end is. It's completely different. So there are commitments to trust. Um, I will hope, hope continually. I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day. Their number is past my knowledge. He says, I can't, I can't even fathom the infinite ways that God delivers his people. And with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, that's when I'm going to come. I'll remind them. I'll, I'll cause them to hear your righteousness, yours alone. The righteousness in verse 19 that reaches the high heavens. You have done great things. Oh, God, who is like you? Nobody is like you. 
Now, some take 20, 20 and 21 to refer to an actual resurrection. I think it's metaphorical language in, in poetry. He's been down there, low, very difficult circumstances, and he says, God, God's brought me back. You'll increase my greatness once again. I'll praise you with the harp, oh my God. And watch this, verse 22. I don't want to leave this one off. Oh, holy one of Israel. It's only three times in, this, in, the, in the entire Psalter called the Holy One. Oh, Isaiah. He's, uh, Isaiah emphasizes that over and over. You know what holy means? He's not only separate from all moral defilement, but there's no pantheism here. God is separate from all of his creation. He's the creator. And you're, you got an accountability to him one day. And if you're here this morning and you think you can stand before God in your own righteousness, the Bible cries out, oh no, that's foolishness. Look to the Savior. Believe upon him. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Start it out at your youth. Oh, there's any time in life that you can turn to him. Today is the is the appointed day, the day of salvation. All you have to do is turn to him. But you know what breath you are guaranteed of? It is the one you are currently taking and no more. Our life is but a vapor, a wisp of smoke. It's here and it's gone. Two applications. Youth who have strength and aspirations, remember your creator in your youth. Live a life centered on the God of the Word and the God who reveals himself in his Word. And mature saint in final years, you're encouraged. You're still full of sap. You're still full of spiritual vitality. And teach another generation and then come down to the end. I fought my course. I have finished. And henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness, not for Paul only, but for all those who long for his appearing. Finish well, my friends, finish well.